the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Get it going right here, right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we take a journey back in time and go back and look at the glory days of the World Wrestling Federation, most specifically the New Generation which is about 1993 through about early 1997. I'll elaborate uh, more in just a couple of minutes on that. Uh, and uh, what we've been doing here, having a little bit of a rotating chair of some guests. This time, uh, the room is full as we welcome in the members of a very interesting podcast. Uh, and also very nice to have both of them on the Bottom Line Wrestling Cast, the hosts, Mike and JV. Here to talk about a little Stone Cold Steve Austin in the year 1996. Mike and JV, I am very happy to have both of you. Thanks for having us on, Chad. Yeah, I appreciate it. Now, if I said JV and Mike were there, would it have been he between you guys? Or, <laughs> no. Is it Mike and JV all the time? I was thinking about it. <laughs> it's only Mike and JV all the time because I write the post. So yeah. <laughs> it just comes first. Yeah. Hey, it's being part of a duo for many years. I don't even years. notice it, so. <laughs> well, that's fine. But I was uh, I was thinking about doing it just to be a wise guy. But I'll follow the uh, – <laughs> I'll toe the line, uh, especially since we just met here a couple of minutes ago. But uh, I definitely was thinking outside the box just trying to have some different topics. Uh, when I talked to Mike, uh, he so eloquently pointed out that it's 316, technically yesterday because this airs on Wednesday the 17th. And, uh, you know, I can't say that my podcasting chops didn't get the best of me where I just agreed and said, yep, that's it. That's the reason we're coming to have you guys on. But uh, it was purely coincidental. But I appreciate you pointing that out. <laughs> I had 316 on, um, on my mind because we're doing a show that came out yesterday as, as you're listening to this now in which we were joined by Talking Taker and Talking Taker podcast where they cover the career of The Undertaker. They just wrapped up. So they're going to join us. For an episode where we're going to cover the summer of 98 with Austin and The Undertaker. So I had that on my mind. So okay. 360, I was like, oh, you're doing the same thing. <laughs> and no. the 17th is St. Patty's Day, so still something special going on, right? Exactly, right. Somebody and I could, if I really wanted to be special, I could have gone and looked at every uh, March 17th show, every St. Patrick's Day house show that would have run uh, during the new generation years. But I probably would have run a little thin on that. The 316 works out. Uh, kind of perfectly. Uh, but then again, you know, <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin, the ringmaster during this time, uh, I say it's between 93, about January 93 and early 97, where the new generation takes place. Uh, the Rattlesnake doesn't have that much of a chunk technically uh, in this era, but nonetheless, an impact, uh, obviously, which we'll get to. Uh, but I want to talk about you guys first and kind of uh, give me the concept for the bottom line uh, uh, podcast, or what do you guys call it? The bottom line wrestling cast. Cast. Yeah. Um, you know, too you cool mentioned, for podcast. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> you mentioned the, the Talking Taker podcast, and, and I like the concept that you guys have with with 
obviously with what they have and what you have. I, I like the specific content. I like that it's the sole focus. I like that you guys can then borrow from previous episodes and kind of say you know things in comparison to whatever. But kind of give me the uh, the lowdown on how you came up with doing this show. Well, we had a show earlier in around 2016. It was called the Hurricane Rana Wrestling Podcast. And that show is more of a mix of everything, like current events, what was going on in the wrestling world, and then some segments about some retro stuff. And we did that for about a year and a half. It wasn't just JV and I. It was a crew of us. It was our, and a whole staff. Right. <laughs> a whole staff of our friends, kind of like what you guys do. You have a whole crew that you do different shows. But this was just us kind of like roundtable discussion, and people would come in and out. So sometimes it would be three of us or four of us. And, and we did that for a while, but then we kind of it faded out, you know, like podcasts usually do. And that one faded out in mid-2017. And then a year went by, and I started to get the itch on a podcast. But I don't want to do that same stuff that we did before. And not really loving the modern wrestling, so I don't want to talk about that every week. I don't want to limit myself to, oh, i got to watch this Raw. i got to watch 205 Live, whatever. It's like, no. <laughs> I want to watch and cover something that I actually liked growing up. And that was the Attitude Era. And wanted even to limit it even more than just the Attitude Era, but to limit it to Stone Cold Steve Austin. So I asked JV right away, hey, you want to do a podcast again? Just us, you know, not ev- not everybody else. Because the problem was you can't count on everybody else. So that's why things started to, like, fall apart. <laughs> but, you know, if I could have JV commit to it, then we'd be rolling. We wouldn't have any excuses. We'd do it. And we've been doing it since September of 2018, week after week. So I picked the partner and i'm glad jv joined in and that's what we wanted to do just focus on stone cold and keep it nice and tight yeah jv you got anything to add to that no that's some i mean i was reluctant at first just because i, I know the time it takes to commit to a podcast and actually i'm not the best at that commitment stuff so uh <laughs> but he, he 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 pulled my strings he and he got me to uh, come around and do it and you know i look forward to it now it's actually it's good and every week it's like hanging out we get to relive some old wrestling memories of the great Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, uh, you know, it's fun. Glad we did it. Uh, I like it. I like it a lot. Another reason why I liked having you guys on, too, is because I've said this on previous shows. I'm trying to kind of hit all the territories of the uh, of the United States. I mean, I'm from the Northeast myself. I'm from Jersey. So nice. my home base is uh, the Meadowlands Arena. Secondary base would be the Garden. You guys are from Massachusetts, and uh, I haven't talked to anybody from Massachusetts yet. So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit about the new generation years, and if you guys were fans, if you get into, if you went to shows, you know what do you remember? So before we get into the old uh, Texas rattlesnake, let's talk about the new generation years and uh, kind of where you were at as uh, as fans back then. Uh, you want me to go first? You guys kicked off. All right. So, yeah, I was a big fan. New generation time. Um, That was the wheelhouse of being a kid growing up. Yeah. So 1993, I would have been 10 years old. So prime wrestling fan at that time. And, you know, taping it every weekend, you know, tapes and tapes of it. Um, I didn't go to shows much at that time. You know, parents weren't going to bring me to that. So (laughs) I had to just go with the TV shows, the Saturday Superstars Wrestling Challenge when while that was on. And yeah, I love the new generation. Um, you know, it didn't age well, but if you're <laughs> from the time period, there's still the nostalgia that you get from it. And it is a turning point. And I'm sure you'll get into that too, that, you know, things started to trend differently in late 96 into 97. That's why that period dropped off. 
Oh yeah, I was a huge fan of it. Uh, yeah, we we actually did an episode, a special episode on the Bottom Line Wrestling Cast, WWF in 1995, mm. <laughs> which is the heart of the stink of the new generation. Yeah, there's uh, there is some stink for sure. Uh, again, you know, the whole point is I like to look. I said I say about it. I go if you put on the rose colored glasses, right? Are you looking at it as a ten year old and saying, "All right, because I was ten and I remember being ten, it, it, it was." what it was then or am i going to look at it now as a i can't even say it, nearing 40 years old and and saying okay looking back now is this as good as i thought it was when i was 10 and in most cases i've i've come to enjoy a lot of the stuff but you know like you said 95 kind of being the uh, the key era of stink there was some stinkage there but how about you jv where were you at yeah i was in the same boat as mike um i went to a few you know a few shows house shows stuff like that i actually went to my first um wwf or actually wrestling pay-per-view in general like big show was uh royal rumble 1994 oh. and that was in um providence rhode island providence. and uh i don't I, I haven't watched that one in a while but if, if i had to i think if i watched it again i'd still be impressed i mean this is the one where uh taker kind of rises from the grave at the yeah. end and you had the double uh the two winners between it was yoko zuner and lex luger not yoko zuner bret hart and lex luger um you know eliminated at the same time um, so yeah, it was, I loved it then. And, you know, after I went to that pay-per-view, I was like all in, like, you know, you see it live and you just get a little bit more hungry to kind of watch it and follow it and stuff. So that's a hell of a show to go to during, uh, this era for sure. Because I mean, not only that, it was also diesel throws out, uh, you know, like, uh, I think it was like 11 guys or something in the Royal yeah, Rumble. The record at the yeah, time. that was Diesel's catapult. Uh, you had, you know, the Owen Hart turn on Bret Hart. It's a pretty damn significant show. What's funny is um, that that's actually a very small arena. Probably only holds like 10, 12,000 people. And uh, I was young and we had balcony seats. And I remember I brought binoculars because it seemed like it was so far away. And now <laughs> I go there as an adult and I'm like, these are great seats anywhere else. <laughs> You're like not far from the ring at all. So that's, wow, that's great. See, and I wouldn't have known that from watching the show because they they shoot it very well. They shoot yeah. the arena to look like it's uh it's much bigger. It's um, definitely not. But that's a great man. Yeah, that's a that's a damn good one to uh to to have on the show. You got to take a look back at that and see if it holds up to your uh your 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 child's memory <laughs> because <laughs> in some cases I'm sure it will. And that's not a bad show. There there's not much of you know of the corniness uh, that might be implied with the new generation on the 94 rumble. That's pretty uh, straightforward show. Uh, but 95 on the, on the other hand, I mean, that is just, there's, there's ups and downs. I mean, you really got to sift through a lot of stuff to get to the good stuff. But what did you guys think about 95 looking back? Looking back, I, I still don't think it's that great. And I don't have those rose colored glasses of the past. I knew at the time that it was not good because <laughs> I'd already been a fan for a while. And this was a big departure from Hulk Hogan you know, of 91 and 90 that I really loved in Ultimate Warrior at the time. And then here comes 95, and it's like, I'm kind of in this already. I'm a wrestling fan. I'm going to keep watching, but I know this isn't as good as what I liked before. <laughs> but I'm just going to stick it out because I like Bret Hart, and I like Shawn Michaels. So that's enough to cover me. But everything else going around, whew, man. And that, like, that year started off well, didn't it? Because didn't Michaels, he won the Rumble that year. And he was like yeah, the first or uh, second entrant or something. But, but that, that Rumble, the Rumble's weak. That Rumble's yeah. a thinker. <laughs> yeah. Go back and watch that, JV. It's just, it's, they're showing Michaels 
and British Bulldog. And that's yeah, it. You're no like, kidding. Gee, who else? I mean, Lex Luger, by that point, had been kind of neutered. So he's one of like, I think one of the last guys to come in. So you're like, all right, Luger's not winning it. But I mean, they just, they load it up with a lot of oh stinkage. Yeah. Like people that hadn't even been around. Yeah. <laughs> we're in that. Yeah, I think that's the one where they go, oh, my gosh, it's Rick Martell. And you're like, where Rick Martell's still there? Yeah. <laughs> Dory, Dory Funk Jr. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here he comes. <laughs> exactly. But now that's uh, uh, that's great. So 95, okay, being what it is, uh, it, it was technically the year that Stone Cold Steve Austin would uh, make his return. But as the ringmaster, because I believe the Raw that he would make his debut on was taped at the end of yes. 1995, uh, so we've talked about, you know, coming off of ECW, he was obviously, and this is the transition, by the way, that, that's just my seamless transition. I don't even say, Hey, we're moving on. Um, <laughs> that was perfect. And, and you know, and I do, uh, so I do a podcast with, uh, Francine and we were just talking about stone cold, Steve Austin and ECW. And, uh, she basically was like, man, if you didn't blink and know that he was there, you would have missed him because he was in and out so fast. And even for somebody like her who has been in the promotion to not have that much of an interaction with him, that's how small of a time he was in ECW. But the impact that he had in ECW, obviously huge. So kind of a shocker when he jumps to the WWF and becomes the ringmaster, uh, fitting very well into the Vince McMahon, everybody needs a gimmick. Uh, you know, column. Uh, so you guys have watched it because right now you guys are in 2001 on your podcast. So you've watched this uh, going back a few years. So you're fresher than pretty much everybody else who's listening. Uh, what do you think about the ringmaster debuting there in 95, technically 96 when they air it on the brother love show? So at the time of the debut, I was excited because I had followed stone uh, stunning Steve Austin in WCW. I had yep. been a fan of him already. Um, Francine's right about you blink and miss it because in 1995 I did miss it. I had no idea that he was in ECW, and I had just started to follow it at that point. But he he made brief appearance. He had two matches and cut a couple promos, so that was over quick. And then he transitioned right over to a ringmaster, and I was surprised, like, oh, cool, we got Steve Austin here. And uh, the name wasn't appealing, but I was like, all right, it's still Steve Austin, so he's got to be good. But that name. Not that good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't even know about like his uh his short stint in his stint in ECW until like the internet. Because I, I didn't watch ECW. I didn't, you know, I was kind of not really allowed to watch it, I guess. <laughs> um uh but so yeah, like when I finally saw like the video, like you know, the couple promos he did and stuff, I was like, wow. I'm like, now I know where he kind of kind of pulled the Stone Cold gimmick from. And yeah, was, that's in hindsight, it's kind of it's kind of whack. That they gave him a ringmaster gimmick where he's not talking, he's got a mouthpiece and Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird because those ECW promos are I mean, they they range from, you know, silly, obviously, you know, the Monday Night Quill and the Bischoff impression, uh, <laughs> to obviously very serious, where he then just turns up the juice and is so serious. I mean, I think it even supersedes what Stone Cold was, you know, with the fingers and the you know, the cursing and that, you know, all the, all the stuff that we would get to know and love. I, I just think it's a more serious tone. And I say in the, the, the podcast with Francine that the one promo he does where he literally looks in the camera for seven minutes 
awesome. and he barely blinks <laughs> and you're like you're and i and, and she goes well what do you what do you fall in love with him i go no i'm captivated by his eyes because his eyes are telling the story and his mouth is just regurgitating what's in his brain and it's uh, it's fascinating but so he becomes the ringmaster and they mention him as steve austin very very briefly just to say like oh yeah we know this guy he's from you know uh, you know he's from wrestling you know who he is we're not saying where he was from he's steve austin but then that's gone he's the ringmaster and uh i don't know just it very short-lived too though it is but just you know with the million dollar man music you know the million dollar belt it's like eh, i don't know how i like it uh when you watch the matches of the ringmaster uh, and they're trying to make him, you know, he's the master of the ring. He's so, you know, methodical. He's psychological. What do you think about those ringmaster uh, early Stone Cold Steve Austin matches in the WWF? I mean, they're mostly jobber matches against Scott Taylor and Matt Hardy and, and such. So they don't really showcase him that well. It's not until he actually starts to have matches with Savio Vega that he starts to have some decent matches that you can really see, you know, oh, that's Steve Austin. You know, right. Showing off his skills. Yeah. And, and I actually went back to look. So I don't know if it was just something when he was coming in that they didn't really put him on the road right away because they kind of wait until after the Royal Rumble to put him on the road. Now, do you guys like kind of look at some of the house show results as you're putting the shows together and where he was traveling at that point? Oh, Mike's got that down. We got a whole section of the uh, yeah. episodes dedicated to house shows. Oh, Sometimes I, love- I don't know what's going on, but. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> He's the historian there. He knows all that. Yeah, he. He actually wasn't on the road much at all in the beginning, in those first couple of months. He was just um, only making the appearances on TV tapings at that point. Yeah, yeah you got to wonder why. I mean, I'm sure maybe it's just good. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I think they were trying to build him. I, you, do you know the plan for Royal Rumble 96, what they were supposed to do with him in that match? Why don't they you, wanted, the, they wanted didn't the spotlight he get, him. Didn't he get knocked out by accident? Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But talk about it. Mention it. Uh, yeah. Give us the story. Yeah, so it looked it seemingly they were going to give him a push right after Royal Rumble, and they wanted him to look strong in the Rumble and have him be in the final four of that match. But what happened was there was this accident. Fatu comes into the ring, and he makes a big difference here. And he's all oiled up, and Austin slips on him, slips off him and falls out of the ring. And Austin, he said this before in interviews, he's like, damn, I, I just blew it, <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> And in a way, maybe maybe he did. <laughs> it would take him to impress Vince McMahon. And I'm sure we'll get to this, but at beware of door of beware of the dog in your house when the lights went off. That's when Austin really impressed Vince, and he yeah, took that next yeah, step. Like, all right, he's he's the guy. He's in, uh, he's in a ring with no power, and he's still putting on a good match. He doesn't care. Still doing his job. Yeah. very well too. That, that, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, and you said uh, right before all that, the jobber matches leading to the Savio Vega be kind of the first program. Um, the million dollar dream, you know, really kind of putting the emphasis on he's the million dollar champion. Do you like that addition to the repertoire of the ringmaster? No, I hate it because <laughs> the million dollar corporation was like the worst thing from 1995. And he gets put right into that. The, the very end of it, at, at the very least. So thank you for that. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, good thing he didn't come any earlier because he would have been ruined if he was stuck in the middle of 95. 
<laughs> at least he got there at the end. <laughs> Could have been on the uh, the All Pro team uh, or opposing the All Pro team with Bam Bam uh, about a year earlier. <laughs> Squaring off with Reggie White, you know, it yeah. could have been uh, Stone Cold or the Ringmaster. That would have been uh, Mongo versus Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been a prelude, right, to the Monday Night Wars. Uh, yeah, so Savio Vega, that's really his first kind of big program. Savio's super-duper babyface uh, at that point. Uh, kind of not, in a perfect spot because he, he wasn't really knocking him down left and right, but he, he, did, he wasn't jobbed out. So for a guy like Austin to be paired with Savio Vega, I know he has talked about it on many occasions that it, it was basically the learning experience he needed to get ingratiated into – uh, the WWF, but that starts around WrestleMania time, carries on for a few months. Um, the WrestleMania match, eh, it's all right. I, I'm not a big, uh, I'm, I don't really like WrestleMania 12 as a whole. Um, and, and that match, again, not really one of my favorites, but nonetheless, it's a WrestleMania debut. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that, that match was decent. Uh, I, I, I forget exactly what it is, but I believe there's a botch in there with Tim White. I wish I could remember off the top of my head, but I know we talked about it on our episode that we covered this, which was our second episode, and we're very proud of the name of that episode. We call it the Vegas Saga. <laughs> the Vegas Saga. <laughs> and we, we always say, oh, that's the greatest episode name that we have. And just the other day, I was thinking, we should have said the Salvio Saga. <laughs> but anyway, but there is something in that match. If you go back and watch it, you'll notice that there's something off with the finish. And... I've looked, I tried to read stuff about it, and nobody's ever said anything online about it. Uh, I Now that I can't remember what exactly it was, I have to go back and check that out. But go check out the end of that match, because there's something fishy going on there in that match. I don't think I've watched that match in forever. So that, that is something I can go do. <laughs> yeah, check it's, it out. It, it's, again, I'm just not a fan of WrestleMania 12. It, it's just it's not a great show. I'm not a big fan of the Iron Man match. I don't really oh. like the backlot brawl. I, I just say the Diesel Undertaker match, it, it's not very good either, but I, I feel like that's like the highlight for me. Um, but it's kind of forgettable for Austin. It, yeah, it is. You don't like the OJ re- replace? <laughs> I could have done without it. You know? I could have done without it. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big Triple H guy, so I could care less about uh, the Ultimate Warrior. I was never a big Warrior guy either. So yeah. this WrestleMania really did nothing for me. <laughs> right, a main event an hour long, over an hour long, <laughs> and the rest of the undercard is trash too. Like, yeah, the, oh, why would you ever rewatch that show? The rush, you know, six man there at the beginning, you know, just squeezing guys together. The tag titles not even making the show. I mean, it's like, you know, it's kind of, oh, and Billionaire Ted's uh, mega powers exploding, the Huckster, the Nacho Man. Come on. I mean, WrestleMania 12 is a bag of shit. <laughs> it's the grand finale of the new generation. Right <laughs> well, it is kind of a transition because they did get rid of the Goofy when they got rid of the Billionaire Ted stuff. But, uh, you know, we still have a guy who's named after uh, a, a guy in a circus, a ringmaster. So he's with Savio <laughs> Vega. Uh, they're kind of married to each other. They're working the house shows together. I believe in February 96, I see Austin at the Meadowlands with possibly Bob Holly, maybe Marty Jannetty. Does that ring a bell? Either one of those? Bob Holly. Bob Holly right. does. Yeah. Bob Holly. Okay. So that would have been a house show I saw in February 96 uh, at the glorious Meadowlands Arena. 
And uh, yeah, him and Savio going all the way through the uh, what June when Beware of Dog, like you just mentioned, the lights go out. They got to do the show twice, but it was the lights going out when their match was taking place. Austin and Savio Vega, that Vince McMahon realized that he had some uh, something on the table. So why don't, what, what, what can you tell us about that event? Well, from what, we, what we've heard is that you know, Vince McMahon, he tried to be all calm, cool, and collected about the whole incident with the power going off, and he just sat back and drank his drink and sat back and watched Savio and Austin go beat the heck out of each other. Was and that everyone a strap else match? Was, was that yeah. one of the Caribbean yeah. strap matches, right? Yeah, that was a Caribbean strap match. And, you know, production is going crazy. Vince is just whatever. <laughs> and he's like, they're putting on a heck of a match in there. And, you know, that's really what put Austin on you know, front and center for for for, uh, for uh, Mr. McMahon. And not only that, though, it was an incident in Madison Square Garden that forced Vince McMahon to need to look for somebody else for that top spot going into the next month of June at the King of the Ring. And that's what would lead Austin to getting that moment that, you know, we're surely going to get to in just a second. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, uh, we've heard the stories. Uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley uh and going out with his buddies and saying goodbye to the crowd at Madison Square Garden, uh, not really ingratiating himself with the uh, the higher ups at the, uh, the the Titan Tower. A lot of people were pissed off, and it cost him the King of the Ring uh, uh, moniker. Uh, but one thing, I, just before we even mention that, this is where he also drops Ted DiBiase. A few weeks prior to this, can you pinpoint the change between the Ringmaster to Stone Cold? Yeah, May uh, March 11th, today, as we record this. Is it really? Wow, it's, holy shit. It's the anniversary. a hell of a memory. You remember that? No, I saw it on Twitter earlier today. <laughs> uh, it's the March 11th, 1996, so that's even before Mania. I thought he was still the ringmaster. Yeah, he was already I, stone cold at Mania. Mania. Wow, well, yep. all right. So what is it um, an announcement? Is it just casually mentioned? How do they do it? So gradually, during his final ringmaster matches, Vince McMahon starts to throw it in there on commentary yep. like oh this this man is stone cold he's calculating he's calculating the rank he's stone cold so he throws it in there a few times and then austin comes out in a promo and says it he says that he's stone cold even though he's still the ringmaster he mentions that and then they just go right to stone cold steve austin on march 12th he, uh, march 11th um he shaves his head just prior to that too and that's where he takes on the name yeah, he still had a little bit of peach fuzz uh, hanging on. Right, as the ringmaster. Just a and little he just, bit. He, then he bicks it. And apparently he bicked it because of Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction. He's the, he thought, that guy looks badass. I'm going to do that too. <laughs> so he shaved his head. Yeah. I, I can't say, I, again, I was not the biggest Austin guy. Uh, you know, It took me many, many years because I'm like, this is the Hollywood Blondes guy. <laughs> This is the guy who's doing this, you know, where I, we're, this is audio, but I'm doing the Hollywood blondes yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I can't take him serious. Cause he shaved his head. He's got a goatee. I mean, yeah, he looks like he's straight out of 96. Didn't he like have like a mustache too? Like his goatee didn't he really did. connect. Right. It wasn't yeah. connected. Just but the it was mustache like, and you then couldn't really tell cause it was blonde. Little fuzz. Yeah. yeah. Hollywood blondes guy for me. Then could, could not take him uh, as a credible uh, heel. Wasn't uh, wasn't a fan. Um, but was uh, kind of shocked, just like uh, the rest of the WWF viewers, when he uh, wins the King of the Ring, which, again, that King of the Ring 
not necessarily one of the stronger ones. Uh, <laughs> not not talent wise. <laughs> we can connect that to just that era. Not the strongest. An abbreviated tournament for the first time uh, yeah. as compared to previous years. But what can you tell us about those matches leading up to the uh, to that promo at the end? Well, the matches were kind of like a rehash of matches that we've seen numerous times already. So he has the match with Bob Holly. He has another match with Savio Vega. So that continues on. So it started back in February and goes all the way till June where he's he's going at it with Savio. So that's why we call it the Vega Saga because it seemed like it's never going to end. <laughs> so, but you get to the King of the Ring and then he just has the match with uh, Mock Merrow and gets his lip busted open. Yep. In that match and right. has to go backstage. They say he goes to a medical facility, but that's not apparently what happened. He just got stitched up in the back and came back out for his last match with uh Jake the Snake Roberts, who he didn't look that good back in nineteen ninety six. He looks better now. Yeah, he does. He yeah, does. He, he looks really good now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for us, you know, obviously we're all, you know, WWF guys uh, going back and we know mm-hmm. Jake is tanned, you know, cerebral, right. and dark hair. Yeah, yeah. This was balding, not well, very pale and in a pantsuit, uh, Jake Roberts yeah, with a with, vest. Well, yeah, with the vest. <laughs> and, you know, it just was not not a good look, but. You're like, all right, maybe Jake's got a chance because I don't really, you know, know anything about the ringmaster uh, getting this huge push. But Jake's Jake, right. not Jake's going to take this. He's going to hit the DDT, and we got right. King Snake. That could have been just as believable as what happens when that inevitable. I believe he hits him with the stunner, right? Pins him yeah, one, hits three. With the kind of like a passing of the torch, DDT. Now to the stunner, you know, something that hits you out of nowhere, knocks you out. A devastating move. Now, coming off the blood, like you said, the the you know, the contusion he had was, you know, iconic. If you look back at it, uh, almost on par with, you know, the blood that they would show all the time with the Bret Hart match at WrestleMania. You know, there was a Raw magazine that had the lip busted and, and what it looked like. It was it was gnarly. Yeah. Um, but here we are. He beats Jake the Snake. He takes that podium. Now, he doesn't don the uh, the, the crown. He does not don the uh, the cape. Or take the scepter, but he's got Michael Hayes, aka Doc Hendricks, there, and the rest is history. Oh, it's one of the greatest moments in wrestling history, for sure. Changed everything. I, I knew right away. I was like, ah, like, well, that's that's really what put him over for me. Is in terms of liking him, I already liked him, but now this is like, oh, he's badass. Yeah, like he'd be mainstream like likable now, you know. And but one thing though that is a misconception is that after that night. Oh, it was Austin three sixteen everywhere, and that wasn't the fact. You no. know that didn't happen. That's WWF rewriting history. You know, right. It took it took a good six months before Austin three sixteen really caught on with everybody. Yeah, I would say the uh, around Survivor Series time is when it really uh, kind of changed. But uh, how about the house shows leading up to that? What do you remember about where he was building up to King of the Ring? Building up to King of the Ring. Same thing, just in the in the loop with Savio, just kind of the same. Yeah, pretty much. Same guys every night, and that that's yeah, the well, at this, thing. At this point now, Mark Merrow is in the mix too. Okay, all right, we'll put the Wild Man in. Yeah, but yeah, still a lot of Savio throughout that whole time leading up to King of the Ring, and then <laughs> then after, you know, things kind of die down for Austin in the summer of '96. 
which is surprising because you think, oh, he's he's got all this, you know, fire behind him now that he's become the king of the ring, and it seems to be this drop off. Now, not much happens. The only thing that does happen that's of importance is that he really starts to get used to his character and his promos. Right. That's the only good thing. He doesn't have any good angles, any stories going on. It's just I'm a badass, and that's it. He's uh, he he dons the the vest. The vest starts to to come out, but it's got that more it's like Dallas Cowboys vest. Yeah, the deck, the text, <laughs> yeah. theme, you know, which I believe his first action figure would have the same stars on his uh, his boots. Yep. Yeah, he... I actually have one. Yeah, and it has the has the star has his uh, stunning Steve Austin boots. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really. Uh, it doesn't fit. But yeah, make, he dons the vest. But how about at July? So they go. It's international incident, I believe, in July. The in your house. Does he? Is I don't. Is he even on the show? I don't think he is. Yeah. Uh, oh, he is he, on it. Yeah, I believe he takes on Mark Marrow. Oh well, well of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so whoever he's working with the shows, that's who he's going to be on the pay per view with. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He, him and Mark Marrow tied at the hip, just like him and Savio. Which is, again is weird because they. That's how they would do it. Um, but now at what point did he kind of have that little series with Shawn Michaels? Is that the summer or is that more into the fall? Oh, I think it's, or is it early? June. I think it's June actually. Is it June? Okay. Yeah. He takes on Shawn Michaels one week in June. And then I believe he, he has his first match with Hunter Hearst Helmsley too. In and the he, summertime? Yeah. In, in June. Now the it, Shawn... The Shawn Michaels matches, is that the European tour or wherever the South African tour, wherever the hell they were? They had, they were somewhere out in the, in the Middle East. He had a match with Bret Hart actually in, in South Africa. Right. That's the match where Bret said, I want to work with this guy. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I believe it was June. He had, I think he had a pretty packed June with the uh, new, new guys that he was going with. Maybe I might be confusing it now. Either way, he, he goes on a run where he starts to have matches with Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Actually, no, that's what it was. International incident. Well, he's not. A, he doesn't fight on SummerSlam, right? He doesn't have a match. No, he doesn't he's have on, a match. He's on, he's on the free-for-all on SummerSlam. Right. Oh, that's, is he? <laughs> that's Yokozuna and the rope-breaking in the, in the free-for-all, which would become the, uh, the cover of the VHS tape. That the WWF would release a best of free for all, like anybody wanted that, anybody whatsoever. They already didn't pay for the pay per view, and now you're making them buy a VHS tape. But the cover of it was the rope breaking from SummerSlam. <laughs> How embarrassing! I don't know if that was. A I think work that or was, not. No, I think it was a work. I think I it think was okay. Was, yeah, I think that was a work. Well, either way, how embarrassing! It's kind of just poking fun at Yokozuna now. Well, he was the guy that was carrying them at the beginning of the new generation, you know, as the champ. Have we ever heard of uh, of the chairman to be a little vindictive, possibly? <laughs> Maybe a little upset yeah. that his monster is uh, legit getting bigger and bigger? It's But a feather in the cap of Austin at that point. That's a huge victory over a WWF champion. Yeah, <laughs> in less than two minutes, too. Is it that short? Wow, man. Yeah. Wow. Again, this is stuff I have not checked out. Is this one thing that you guys like, JV? Is this a, do you like going back and looking at some of these shows and yeah. seeing like, oh my god, I didn't even. I said, if you asked me how long that match was, I would have been like, ah, eight minutes. I don't know. Yeah, like I, I like. That's my favorite part of covering his career is, you know, as much as it's covering Austin's career, it's also covering just that that era, you know, whatever year we're in, of WWF in particular. And I like going back and 
you know, watching his older matches and then also just, uh, you know, you kind of see the other storylines that are going on. So, you, you know, you're watching a Raw from 1996 and you find yourself watching the whole episode of Raw instead of just the Austin stuff. So, hmm. yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, let, me, let me correct myself, actually. So those matches with Michaels, Hunter Helmsley, that's October. So Okay. So September is when they have that tour. That's when he has the match with Brett, September. Got it. Yeah, so it was Mark Marrow at the International Incident in, in your house in July, and then Yoko at SummerSlam. And then they really start to push him with uh, some better talent. Yeah, doesn't he get Triple H? You're right, Triple H. Or is that after? That's October. October. That's October. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Right. And that was like kind of, that was an oddball heel versus heel uh, contest that kind of came right. out of nowhere. It wasn't like a number one contender. It wasn't any kind of stakes contest. It was just here's two heels and they're having a match. Uh, I believe uh, uh, Triple H might have been the Intercontinental Champion at that point, uh, but I don't believe it was a title match uh, if I'm correct. But it's just sticking with the uh, the tail end of the summer there. Now on television, what did you see in terms of how they presented him a little different? Is he getting more mic time? You know, are the matches a little more decisive because you're seeing the stunner being utilized? Is he getting more name guys? Where, where's he at on television? Yeah, so at that point, when you when you get into September and October, that's when he's starting to have these more top guy matches and getting more time on the mic, but still not programmed in any particular angle. And often you'll you'll see him in just like cut promos, you know, nothing nothing in the in the ring that really wasn't even the style at that point, but. You just have these short little cup promos where he's just more defining his character. And as you head into October, like I said, he has the match with Michaels. Then then the pay-per-view, he's up against Triple H. Hunter Harris Helmsley at Buried Alive pay-per-view. Right. And I, I think Mark Merrow was still the IC champion. Okay. All right. Yeah. That. Oh, you know what? Yes, I believe you're right. And then Triple H beats him not soon after that. I mean, that was the whole Mr. Perfect Right uh, storyline, which I yep. think intersected with Austin at one point. They, there was an interaction between Austin and Perfect. If yeah, I don't remember that. I don't if I'm correct. I think it was. Uh, I could be wrong. <laughs> you guys are the Austin experts, not me. Why am I supposed yeah. to? Yeah. <laughs> well, if that happened, it was just like that, and not noteworthy. <laughs> and, well, there you go. Well, I mean, he was the color commentator. He was stealing uh, the the ladies of uh, Triple H at ringside. And, you know, I I just want to say there was some sort of passing uh, at some point. But, you know, you see Austin hitting the stunner on, you know, guys like like I mentioned before, Bob Holly. You see him beating, you know, uh, more uh, of the name lower card guys, uh, you know, Bart Guns of the world. You see these kinds of matches where those highlights would be used over and over and over um, in the build for Bret Hart. But when the Bret Hart uh, lead in for Survivor Series, the is he or isn't he coming back? I think that's where Austin completely turns the corner. And this guy goes from being a undercard, mid-card bad guy to being like, I could see this guy being as a top heel for the entire company. Yep. Yep, exactly. That's what happens. You know, when you have somebody like Bret Hart who's been gone since WrestleMania twelve, people want him back. And now he's being positioned with this guy who's pretty cool to people right now. You know, that that's main event material right there, right off the bat. 
And that's where Austin really gets to dive into, you know, having promos as he's cutting on Brett. And he just destroys Brett every time he's on the mic. Yeah, makes him look really bad. And, you know, this is pre, you know, injury, Austin. Yes. Right, so, so he can still go. He's going, you know, with, you know, Bret Hart, one of the greatest of all time, you know, in, in, in the ring. And he's going at Stone Cold at that time could, you know, he would hold his own. How much of that do you guys kind of shake your head at when you look at the matches post-97 and then pre-97 or pre-injury 97? It's two completely different guys because where he could have been the, quote, ringmaster in this contest at Survivor Series in 96, I mean, it is an absolute awesome wrestling match. No doubt about it, which a year later he couldn't have because he now had a broken neck. So do you guys kind of have a scale <laughs> pre-neck injury, post-neck injury? Yeah, we, we actually did at the time when we got to that point. It's like, oh, this is it. This is it for the Austin that we know right now and these great matches that he's had with Bret Hart. But he, he defines himself and changes his character, and he makes that work. So we give skull ratings for the matches, and we haven't really changed the scale much because – He's still entertaining nonetheless, you know, regardless right. of whether or not he can still go the same way that he did prior to SummerSlam 97. Yeah, it's great seeing how like, agile he was transitioning from different styles of wrestling. So there were instances where he'd be in like a tag match for the tag championships. And at the time, he's a full-blown singles wrestler. And you can kind of see him go back to his Hollywood Blondes days where he was like, you know, a top tag team. And he kind of, you know, he wrestles differently. He has better um, cohesion with his uh, tag team partner, whoever it is randomly. He knows to, like, work the guy in their corner. It's, um, yeah, he looks like a natural tag team wrestler. So it's that that's what I appreciate the most about Austin, which I didn't realize then, is just, like, how all the different types of ways he could wrestle. Right, and how he can just. Any kind of match. And he could just change on a dime. Yeah. yeah. Like. You know, we're at the point right now where he's just become babyface again after the invasion angle. Okay. And he was a heel. And people kind of looked poorly at that period in 2001 when he was a heel. I'm but his work, his work was amazing as a heel, like a comedic heel, really, at this point in 2001. And then right after Survivor Series, the next night, it's automatic. He's back in the babyface mode. Yeah. It's like, geez, he's like the puppet master. He's pulling the strings of the fans. Whatever way he wants to go. Yeah. And it's just a great skill that he has that a lot of wrestlers don't have. I mean, that night specifically, I mean, I, I always kind of put that in like the ultimate manip- manipulation category for WWF programming and how they how well they were at pre- presentation because you look at it that literally the week before on Raw, let's take even the invasion out of it. Let's take the pay-per-view off the table. As he would say, let's take it out of the equation. Wham, it's gone. So he legit is the number one heel in the world, <laughs> right? That, that when he comes out, Charlotte, that, that cra- he, his entrance is the change. All he has to do is come out and he was a good guy again. It was right. the ultimate manipulation uh, at that night. And I actually, I have a great affinity for the whole entire summer of 2001. And that is not rose colored glasses. That is not being 18 years old and thinking that this was like the coolest shit in the world at the time, even though I said it sucked at the time. I, yeah, we said it sucked too. I, said it too. I, I, think I stopped fantastic. watching wrestling because of it. I yeah. think it's fantastic. You don't take, take the fact that those guys in WCW were not the best. <laughs> take that out of it. 
uh, take out the Kurt Angle, no psychology turn. T- just take William Regal turn, take it out. It's good looking back. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was I, enjoyable. I, my whole opinion's changed. Very, very strange. Uh, but back to this, November 96, the promos. The put the letter S in front of Hitman. You have my exact opinion of Bret Hart. Great Pink line. tights. What the hell is that all about, Bret? Sunglasses and sparklers. What a load <laughs> of crap. I can recite the whole thing. It's one of my favorite oh, uh, awesome. WWF produced uh, vignettes, promos, hype videos, whatever you want to call it. So perfectly done. But this is stuff we haven't heard on wrestling programming before. This raw, pun intended, uh, look or take from a bad guy. He's cursing. He's calling out the the baby face to literally make him look like an asshole. Um, where do you think this kind of sit? Does, does he kind of start to turn baby face here because he is so cool, or is he still just the uber heel who's telling it like it is? I think it's exactly that. He's st- he's still the heel. He wants to be the heel. He wants to be hated. But you have this weird point in wrestling at this point where. You don't have that cool bad guy yet, really. You know, it, it's just starting to begin with the NWO over in WCW. So that's kind of the first taste of it, really, for wrestling fans, is to be liking something that is supposed to be something you're not like, you know, supposed to hate those guys. And Austin kind of tapped into that, and it made him popular, but I don't think he wanted to be popular. Yeah. It just went that way. Because he was so convincing and it was so cool, such a cool character to speak his mind, like you said, and you know, throw in some curse words here and there. And then you know, people may have been sick of Bret Hart too. Like, oh, screw Bret Hart. You know, let's move on. People were just excited for something different. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of you know, just that time period in general, the nineties. It's kind of cool to be bad. Kind of seem like just culturally it worked too. Like the, it, it was a good parallel to the NWO. Let, let, right. Let's yeah. Put it at yep. that. Right. I mean, I still kind of leaned NWO, even though I was a WWF guy. Uh, I like the NWO over Austin just because I, you know, the familiar faces and I wasn't a big, like I said, stunning Steve guy. Uh, so which one of you was at the Springfield, Massachusetts civic center on uh, November 19th, 1996, right after uh, survivor series. <laughs> Come not on. me, not me. <laughs> That's sitting too far right, away. It's sitting right here. Come on, like you, you could have watched Austin versus uh, Bart Gun. <laughs> <laughs> I missed it. Oh, jeez. Oh, come on. It was the superstars taping for those that don't uh, that don't know. But uh, December '97, uh, it's time. It's uh, Brett and. Uh, oh, I gotta you... stop you. Don't go to oh. December yet. Oh, okay. You're missing something very important. Uh, let me see. No raw ball in late 96. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what am I missing? Why don't you tell me? Brian Pillman. Oh shit. We completely glanced over that. That is unbelievable. That's happening at the same time as the Bret Hart stuff. So you're getting like double whammy of Austin at that I point. I can't believe I completely just overshot that from August to November. So where do you see that? Like, now do you think that's something that, you know, obviously Brian Pillman's injuries held it back, but are you kind of like, all right, this is a weird little spinoff. This is kind of throwing us off the Bret Hart trail. No, even I, th- it's epic. I think it's all connected because, you know, Pillman was in that role as being like a interviewer at that point. Right. Because of, yep. of his injury. So he interviews Stone Cold 
and he's you know they're supposed to be buddies. They're pals. They even recognize the fact that you know they're friends. They have history, yeah. Right. They have history. They're friends, but you know he's still a rattlesnake. They're not calling him that, that yet, but you can't trust him. You can't trust Austin, even though it's your friend. So he's interviewing him. He's telling him you're gonna have. The, Bret Hart said yes. You know and. Austin starts to get pissed that, you know, yeah. why are you so excited? What are you excited about? Like, what's your problem? And then he's even hyping Bret Hart, too. And Austin does not take too kindly to that, and that leads to the Pillmanizing of uh, of Pillman's life. Which, you know, a little side note, I didn't mention this on our podcast, so here's a new chance to say it. Um, the Pillmanizing was a ripoff of Shane Douglas. Yes. Back in ECW. Uh, I think earlier... A year before, like a year before, something like that. I think it was in 1995 and 96. Well, he uh, he did that to Raven. Right. Pillmanizing. But on a larger stage, WWF ran with it, and now, the, now, now it's called Pillmanizing and not a Ravenizing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, nice little side note there. But that all leads now to Pillman in the gun situation, but I'm saying it's connected because the interview was all about Bret Hart, and that's what led to the heat between Pillman and Austin. So now Austin's dealing with two things at the same time. He's dealing with Bret Hart, who's not back yet. So he's just speaking to him, but not he's not there. He's just egging him on to come back. So in the meantime, well, let me screw around with Pillman and mess with him since he's so buddy-buddy with Bret Hart all of a sudden. thinks he's so great. Which is strange because Pillman's still kind of portrayed as a heel. Right. But, uh, so yeah, you, like a loose cannon. Right. Are you calling. feeling sympathy for a guy who, yeah, is, a, is the loose cannon, you know, or who's still very not uh, – he's, he's technically not ingratiated into the WWF world. He's been hurt the whole time. Um, yeah, just, I, don't think, I don't think it's more of like get, trying to get sympathy on Pillman. I think it's more of – look at this asshole Austin is. He, he just destroyed his friend. Right, nope. that that he's kind of he's out there himself. He's not right. just uh, you know this this badass. He's also crazy. Uh, time frame wasn't that was that October? The the Pillmanizing? Yes. Yeah, late okay. October. Okay, so that the yeah. first week in November is the incident at the house. Right. Okay. See that that's what I couldn't remember. I and I can't believe I skipped over it. That's a poor job on the host part. <laughs> he gets a big fat F. Um, <laughs> So focused on in your house, it's time. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's time. I, it, it, it I can't sounds- remember what happened at that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but yeah, the Pillman thing. I mean, it's been it's been retold a million times by WWE. They really pushed the envelope with that. Uh, USA Network not thrilled with it. Uh, great job all around by everybody involved. Kevin Kelly, you know the uh, Melanie Pillman, anybody who was working in production at the time. The two guys that took the ass beating. By Austin outside. Yeah. How about the Easter egg? <laughs> Throw in the kiddie pool. Yeah. Kiddie pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Little uh, Brian Pillman Jr.'s kiddie pool uh, getting uh, used as a prop. Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. yeah what, no shit. Think about that, right? But what's the Easter egg of that uh, incident? Hmm. What's Austin wearing that night? Oh, he's wearing an ECW shirt. He's wearing an ECW Brian Pillman t shirt. Yeah, the Brian Pillman one. Yeah, that's right. That's so. cool. Kind of funny he would get away with that. Because <laughs> yeah. were they making the Austin 316 shirts by that point? No. They don't make the Austin 316 shirts until January. January, right? Yeah. They, they, they debut at the Royal Rumble. That's when they first started selling them. Is it? Wow. Holy shit. 
that is uh, that's something else. I did not uh, not realize it was that long of a time, uh, but still, they're replaying that promo like crazy. They they know that that promo was something. Oh yeah, and you know, again, it ties into the middle fingers. It ties into ass and damn and hell being heard every single week now on uh, Monday Night Raw, which we didn't hear the Hulkster saying ass. You know, we didn't hear the Warrior say damn. This or we could hear Piper maybe saying a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that might have been after a couple. But uh, <laughs> he closes out the year in your house. It's time. Uh, he takes on Gold Dust at that event. Not really uh, you know, memorable match. Triple H actually yeah. plays into the uh to the finish. It, it wasn't really a great uh, end of a, a whirlwind year. Uh, but nonetheless, building for ninety seven in the Royal Rumble, uh the Pillman thing being without, what do you think of uh, his journey from the brother love show to the survivor series to then what would be November, uh, uh, January winning the Royal rumble? Well, I'll have to say Austin worked his ass off to get where he was from January of 96 to January of 97 to totally just reinvent that character. Basically say, I'm not doing that. And basically you, he had to have the, the nerve to just, Take a firing if he had to. Like he, he's like, fine. I'm putting going balls out right now. I'm not doing this gimmick. You can fire him if you want. And he had the stones to do that. And it paid off. He was vouching for himself. He said, I'm better than this. I'm not a ringmaster. I gotta come up with something. And we we even glossed over it, but he didn't know what name to use, and they came up with Fang McFrost and Chili yeah. McFreeze. Chili McFreeze, the, the, <laughs> the illustrious name, Chili McFreeze. Well, he put in a lot of hard work throughout the year to hone his character, and he had some good things happen that, you know, some luck came to him, like with the, the Madison Square Garden incident, current call. That helped his career out. And then Brett vouching for him and saying, oh, I want to work with that guy. So the pieces all fell into place for Austin, but not without his hard work to get that character over that he created. In Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, JV, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he, he really was given shit, and he ended up gold. So <laughs> it's, kinda, it's the best the best that I come up with there. I can't disagree. Uh, just looking at it uh, on uh, the great history of WWE.com, it looks like his last match for the calendar year was, and I'm just glancing over this TV taping very quickly, but it looks like... Farouk, right? With, tagged with Farouk? I'm trying to see. Was that on the TV taping? I believe so. And the December 30th, 96 TV taping? I'm just not seeing it in yep. my eyes, not yep. being what they were. Is that what it is? It's yeah, it's with- Austin and Farouk versus Savio. And it was supposed to be Jesse James, but Bret Hart replaced him. And Bret Hart is like wearing a yes, hockey jersey. <laughs> So that was the final match there. That's a pretty good ender at the Albany, uh, New York Knickerbocker Arena. Uh, just a hell of a year to look at him coming yeah. in from the, uh, the the Brother Love Show in uh, 95, technically January 96 to December 96, and then winning the Royal Rumble the next month. Uh, trajectory nobody could have predicted, but nonetheless, uh, a memorable year in the uh in the pantheon of steve yeah. austin so now whereas you guys move forward you're in 2001 on the podcast where do you kind of rank 96 in the years you've seen so 96 through 2001 2000 he wasn't really around very much but where do you kind of rank these so far in the stone cold years all right so i 
I go 99-2000 as being one. I count that as one year. Yeah, because of what happened there. But um, 97 is number one for me. I, I would go 97, number one. 98, number two. 96, three. 2001, fourth. And then 99, 2000 is the lowest. Even though he was on fire, it's just not good stuff. In <laughs> 99. <laughs> I mean, we, can't some... talk, we can't talk about it. It's technically not our era. So, I mean, it's kind of off. off <laughs> That's <the> right. <laughs> yeah, we but, can't talk about 97 either. <laughs> well, stuck. we can talk about 97 up till about March. See, <laughs> yeah. I think when the set turned from the RAW to the Titan Tron, we take our bow and then we we call it uh, we call it quits because that, that's really it. They still have the red, white, and blue ropes. Yeah, you know they still had the the, the raw sign being what it was. So I technically can cover ECW uh, invading uh, Monday Night Raw because I fall that into the time frame. That's the first uh, one, right? Where ECW invades. That's- I think two weeks later they switch it over because the next week is the German or the European title tour. Yeah. The week after ECW's uh, invasion. And then the following oh, then week they come back is when they come back as uh, the yeah. rebranded Raw's war uh, look. Yeah, I, remember, I remember covering it back when we were doing that episode of that time and that horrible episode of Raw where they're overseas. Awful. And, and then you go the next week and it's like, whoa, it, it, yeah. It's like time passed. Like, <laughs> it's well, we're in the future now. What's this? And this and is the raw that's familiar. All the checks cleared. All the foreign <laughs> money came in. <laughs> exactly. Reinvested it into the company. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just to say, the last thing is that the WrestleMania 13 submission match is announced at ringside during the ECW invasion of Raw at the Manhattan Center casually because Ken Shamrock is sitting at ringside. Bret Hart's not on the show. Stone Cold Steve Austin's not on the show. And they find out it's sitting at home that they're going to have this match at WrestleMania 13. Yeah. And uh, the rest they say is history. Yeah, they had changed that stipulation too, like just on the fly. Like, oh, it's a submission match now. Where originally it wasn't. It wasn't going to be a submission match at first. We could talk about it all day long. I'll come on <laughs> a special edition of your show where hey. I try to fight for my uh, my big buddy, uh, Glenn Jacobs, that he should have been included in the final five match at the uh, February 97, yeah. uh, what was final four. I, I saw fake Diesel there at the end of the Royal Rumble. Yep. But that's he just was. me. <laughs> he was in the final four, for sure. I'll tell that to Glenn. He'll kick me right in the face. So I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll just completely, uh, I'll leave that being for when you guys want to do a special occasion, but we'll wrap it up for today. I just wanted to look back at the year. just cover what we like, how we did look yeah. at the shows, house shows, what you guys think, how you cover your podcast. Uh, but before we say goodbye, why don't you tell the, uh, the listeners of the, uh, the TMPT empire and new generation declassified where they can find, uh, we'll let you guys go in order, I guess, but tell them where you can find the podcast and then where they can find you guys. Well, you can follow, find the podcast anywhere that you get podcasts. It's the bottom line wrestling cast. So just type that in to your Apple, whatever you use, Stitcher, Spotify, name it. It's there. Bottom line wrestling cast. The career of Stone Cold Steve Austin. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me, Mike Crew, at MPRU83. It's MPRU83. And also follow us at on Twitter at bottom line cast. And also I'm sure a lot of you guys are ECW, ECW fans. Yes. We have the YouTube bottom line wrestling cast on YouTube where you can get the episodes also there. And also Facebook group 
Bottom Line Wrestling Cast. Just one one other little plug for us. We do another show called the Extreme ECW Livecast, and we do watch-along format. And that's an exclusive to Booking the Territories Patreon website. So it's on a $5 tier. So if you're interested in, if you go ahead, go ahead and listen to Bottom Line Wrestling Cast and you like what we do there, then you might want to check us out over at the Extreme ECW Livecast. We have some free episodes available on the Bottom Line Wrestling Cast feed. If you want to try it out, check out the ECW show. But we, we enjoy do, doing that. We, we kind of enjoy doing that more than doing Stone Cold now at this point. Yeah, no homework. <laughs> it's no homework. It's watch a long <laughs> format. You know, it's great. And it's all new to us, basically, because we didn't watch 93, 94, a lot of the 94 stuff. And there was a, probably a good reason not to. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in hindsight, my, my parents wouldn't let me watch this. Really? <laughs> Tony Stetson? <laughs> Larry Winters? Yeah, we're up to uh, the end of 94 on that, too. Okay. We're in December of 94. Right, yeah, you see my buddy, the franchise, uh, starting to oh, do quite a lot. Thing. Oh, he's, oh, he's awesome. He's, he's awesome. our favorite. Yeah, he's. Uh, I got my ECW ties. Obviously, I, I, I've I've heard a thing or two about that promotion. So, uh, how about you, JV? Where can we find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, um, and that's John Van Damage, uh, J O H N Van Damage, and uh, that's really all I am on all you know where I'm at on social media. So, if you want to read my aimless tweets, sometime post about rests and other shit, you can check me out there. It's a very intimidating name, uh, John Van Damage. I, I picture you in some sort of, uh, you know, 80s thriller as like the guy who kidnapped, you know, the millionaire's kids and has a bounty, you know, you're waiting on top of a building or something with a helicopter. I don't know. Hey, great minds think alike because that's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> you sick son of a bitch. <laughs> well, we'll say goodbye for this week. I appreciate you guys coming on. If you want to follow me, obviously, we've said it before a million times. It's at Chad EMB on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to get more from the TMPT Empire, it's tmptempire.com. My website is ibexclusives.com, but also check out a few of the other podcasts that we got going on. The Triple Threat Podcast on Vince Russo's Russo brand with the franchise Shane Douglas every single week. And you can also find me on Eyes Up Here with the Queen of Extreme Francine. That's on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash francine podcast uh i got a little bit of heat with mike mills right now from uh booking the territory big time me a little bit it's okay he i remember him from back in the day before he became such a superstar it's all right i'll let it go I'll let it slide he's uh surpassed me obviously in the uh the pro wrestling podcast world so i'm i'm not hurt it's okay but please give him my best yeah. <laughs> surely will <laughs> well, i appreciate that but uh that's enough out of us for uh, the great crew at the Bottom Line Wrestling Cast, uh, this is your old buddy, the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.